With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up and welcome to another episode of the Grindline Podcast. You're listening to episode 263. I am your host, Greg. I am here tonight with Ryan. It is the absolute misery part of the season. There's the garbage all-star game and the skills comp. Let's go with in season. All the people are mad at uh, Kucherov for. And uh, I mean, it's been a mess and the Red Wings are off for another five days. But how are you doing, Ryan? Yeah, pretty good. A little bummed I got to miss last week. I probably could have actually got on, but I didn't want to mess up the mojo and the th- and the the setup that you had or, or probably mentally prepared for. So uh, I went to. And it's the, like the least I've ever edited an episode. Good for you. Now I got I got to jumped into the first part of it. It sounded like a good time as always. Those guys are fantastic to hear on, and all, of course the queen Daniela is always. I I miss not being on when she's on. So. But other than that, I'm good. Um, what I was getting at in that whole point is that I went to the reason I wasn't on last week was I went to the season ticket holder event is what I'll call it. Um, and it was basically, soiree, if you will. It was, it was kind of a mess. Like if you weren't there to ice skate, your only thing to do is aimlessly walk around the arena. You couldn't get into the suite area to go check it out. It wasn't like freely. Open they only let everything. you in the concourse. You could go on the concourse and down to the ice and then like actually in the bowl. And then if you were skating, you got to go downstairs, obviously go through going through the Zamboni entrance. But then you could go up into the suites. But the only way you went up into the suites like above was because that's where all the signatures and the autograph sessions were taking place with all the players. They had three sections. The moment me and my buddy walked in, the line was gigantic. We looked at each other. I'm like. There's got to be more to do, right? We did our lap. Nothing other than the team store being open. I was like, well, that was cool. So we went and got, I picked up a sweatshirt that Chelsea has been wanting. And then we left. We went to Harry's, had some dinner and came home. So you're saying the event was a bus. <laughs> it was it, very much a bummer. And that's not, I mean, it looks like from a lot of folks on Twitter that got there and were able to get through the lines, like they got some awesome autographs. I know Lee, he had a photo that I think might have all but like a couple players from that were actually there so that was pretty neat for those that actually got to you know or that were brave enough i should say to wait it out but the, 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 they t- gave a time of like 5 to 6 30 when the players were available for autographs 
and the lines were i was like there's no way that you're gonna get through all that stuff so we didn't even try i wasn't that uh upset i was upset more for the fact that i drove down there just to eat dinner at harry's and go home but it is what it is yeah i remember when i uh did when they were doing toast to hockey town they haven't done toast to hockey town since COVID. now that's worth going yes so that's cool that's like strolling dinner and yeah you and i got to hit that up right before literally right before COVID. yeah and that the the players did autographs there too but the lines moved much quicker because you weren't allowed to bring your own things to get autographed. And it and was like uh, autograph picture next, autograph picture next. And yeah, because it costs money. Go up to the guys, you could talk to them for a hot sec, and you're, you're just right there next to them. Yeah, it was a lot of cool. And then uh, on my Facebook memories came up the first year I went to Toast to Hockey Town. Uh, we made it, me and my wife made it on Red Wings Instagram, our picture with Zetterberg. The Red nice. Wings posted it on their Instagram. So it was pretty cool. Um, but yeah, if you haven't listened to last week, so it sounds like we had a better time last week than Ryan uh, talking yeah, to Daniela and the guys from Locked On. <laughs> if you haven't listened to that, go back and take a listen. We did basically a recap of the first part of the season, what's going right for the Wings, and then what they kind of need to improve going forward, as well as a little bit of trade speculation. But what we're going to do tonight is we're going to kind of amplify that trade talk. We've picked a couple guys who are either mentioned in the kind of trade rumblings. Dave Pagnota is really good at doing trade rumblings. And then what he says never happens, but it's cool talk anyways. Uh, But we picked a couple guys out of there to kind of go over their stats, go over what their war charts look like. We're going to go over our RFAs, our UFAs, guys who might replace from internally. And it's just going to be kind of a lot of trade talk since the Red Wings. Like I said, it's like the doom part of the season where the Wings have been off for five days and they're off for another five. And then they had a five day break going to Sweden and a five day break coming back from Sweden. It seems like they've spent so much time off that I really hope this doesn't ruin their momentum that January gave them. I I don't think it will because they going into January. I mean, if you think about it, they came out of the Christmas break or the short Christmas break, if you will. Yeah. They kind of, you weren't really sure what was going to happen as after Christmas because up to the new year's, it was kind of rough. They had that loss to Boston on new year's Eve. And you're like, Oh no, December still awful. But then they turned it around. I mean, this is giving them an opportunity to get fully healthy, as is a lot of teams. But, you know, at least as far as we understand, Sherratt will be back come, come the next game. The likelihood of Patrick Kane is there because they were almost ready to have him back prior to the break taking place. So you're going to be at 100%. Vili Huso is going to be back in there. So now you've got a 1A, 1B, which speaking of, correct me if I'm wrong, do they have a roster spot with Kane being brought in or does someone have to go on the chopping block? They are currently at 22 out of 23 for their roster. Uh, Kane is on IR. Matt Luff is on IR, but they're at 22 out of 23. So they will be able to reactivate Kane without having to move a player. Okay. Cause that was messing with me before. So I just wanted to verify that was the case because I can't math. So, okay. So th- th- it won't matter. Sherratt's not actually on IR. Kane was, we're good. So, Great for them. They don't have to worry about having to make those roster moves, but I will be intrigued to see if they end up not continuing with three goaltenders for right now because Huso comes back. You got to think that him and Lyon are going to be your one and two, right? Unless Huso just, again, shits the bed, and then you have to swap between Huso and Reimer because right now it's Alex Lyon's net. Oh, absolutely. But just think if, just in a a world of make-believe, if Huso returns... And he has the form pre-Christmas, pre-All-Star break of last season. And now you can ride that hot hand along with 
lion's hot hand, barring that, you know, he doesn't fall off the cliff either. And we're going to knock on some wood right now. I'm there. You Mm -hmm. go hitting it. But I'm just saying, if that is the case, now all you got to do is worry worry about what you've got in front of you. And I think we're now you're going to see more win streaks rather than consecutive losing streaks. Not saying it's going to happen. I'm not trying to get shit on for jinxing things, but you never know. That's just my hope. I think if you go the like the win two lose one method absolutely yeah. works for the remainder of the season. If you do that, you're in the playoffs. Just win two, lose one, win two, lose one. It's fine. Win three, lose one, whatever. And you'll make it. You'll be absolutely fine. Well, don't um, they I still think, have like the fifth hardest remaining schedule? Yeah, their schedule's not very especially coming back. So this month is actually not super nice to us. We play Vancouver twice. We play Edmonton. We play Colorado. Uh, we play capable teams in Washington, although now Kuznetsov, something's he's been players assistance again, so he's out. So we don't have a super easy schedule. But then again, I'm not sure anyone has like a cakewalk schedule or any kind of muffin schedule in there. We may have one easy game or two, what I would consider easy games in the mm-hmm. month of uh, February. What we're going to look at tonight again is trade. So how are we going to boost this team going into the March trade deadline? to try and maybe overcome some of this hard schedule that we've got for the remainder of the season. Now, do we want to kind of go over who we might be trading or who might be on our trade block first and then who we might bring in? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. All right. So we'll go through that first. Noted UFAs. So I've got these listed as noted UFAs. These are guys who will be free agents at the end of the season. David Perron, Mm -hmm. Shane Gostaspare, Daniel Sprong, Christian Fisher, and James Reimer. Those are your guys that will be UFAs at the end of this season. Uh, your RFAs include, and all of them are arbitration eligible, except for the two that we aren't, there's no possible chance that we're trading. Joe Valeno, Michael Rasmussen, and Jonathan Berggren. They're all RFAs. We own their rights. They are not 26 yet. And they all have arbitration. Uh, they're all arbitration eligible, which means they can fight for a, a contract value. Um, Moritz Sider and Lucas Raymond are also RFAs. They're going nowhere. Those are the two guys that are absolutely going to be extended. We do have, um, draft picks in every round. So first through seventh round, we own a draft pick in each round. So we are set. We've got prime ammunition. Yeah. Just prime like trade bait that we have to move. And then there are guys that could possibly come in and fill in roster spots if we wanted to promote from within. So out of the UFAs and out of the RFAs, what what do you feel like? I think when we when I talked to Daniela and Brian and Scotty, that we kind of landed on either if we do anything, it's boosting defense, mm-hmm. it's promoting from within, mm-hmm. or I think Daniela said that like Stan Pat is probably what Iser like Iserman should do, considering see see where you can get with the group you have. But if you were to trade anyone, she had mentioned David Perron. David Perron's older. He, I mean, he could be in the retirement window. You could send him to a contender if there's a really good offer to try to get him another cup. But what out of the guys I had listed, who would kind of be your push out to bring something in? I, I like the Perron idea, but I also really like the ghost idea. I think both of those guys internally, Perron, Perron's a tricky one because when he's on, he's it's tough to beat. And what he does for you offensively is fantastic. But if he, he you jettison him away, you easily make up for him on the power play. In my opinion, you put cat right back on there, depending on how you want to shake things up. 
on the, the forward lines, you like the body that he brings, but also it, it's at you like times the puck where, protection too. Big, huge. Like he is not afraid to go get it. And he is also very good at it. And also he's a quick, if it's still in the offensive zone and they're being slow or lazy about it, he's going to take that puck back. So that goes a long way, especially when it comes to looking at these playoff teams that are maybe a little bit further ahead or trying to make a push than where Detroit may be. Not saying that that would be a bad thing, but I think that's uh, on the front side of it. He can be one to easily replace. I think Sprong brings a different element in terms of you expect him to be in, on your depth lines where Perron floats a little bit more. They can kind of, they're almost replaceable with one another, but Sprong brings less in terms of the defensive aspect of it. Not saying that he's just a complete loaf. I don't think that he is, but more bang for your buck. I mean, you're definitely going to have to retain salary for a Perron move to work, especially with a lot of these teams being so tight to the cap as it is, or you're taking a contract back on, which at this point of the, the game, I don't think you really want to be doing that for Detroit unless you completely are just not in a position to make the playoffs. Yeah, no, so I think I last think, season was the last season you'd want to take on a contract. Exactly. Unless it's a, a contract that you're taking on that you know that you're going to do something with, meaning either they're staying here and it's actually part of a good trade that you're trying to make, a player trade, and say like a, a Wallman, for instance, several years ago. That's probably about the only situation where I could see that happening. But I think Perron and Ghosts really get you the most bang for your buck because I think that those roles can be filled from within without having to make a move to replace it if that's the route you're trying to go. Because on the backside, if you send out a Ghost, insert Edvinson, boom. Now you got a guy that can come in, you can work the power play, or you can ease him into it. Now you can put Mo, Mo's on your top unit. You've got Wallman on your second unit. If you wanted to start, Keep giving it Wallman the rest like you have been and keep it like how it was with Ghost and Cider. Now, instead of Ghost, you got Wallman, then maybe every other shift or every other power play, you bring in Edvinson just to get his feet wet. I don't think you're going to really need to ease him in that much because he's doing that now. So to me, those could be if you're looking for assets and picks and having to retain a salary, those are your best players that will help teams that are making a push that isn't just Detroit. But it, it's tough because maybe then it does go to a Daniel Sprong where when you retain his salary, now you're at $1 million if you're going a full 50%. And now you, that really does benefit a team more than the, almost $2.5 million for a Perron and same for and just over $2 million for Ghost. So there's a big difference in what you're trying to look at financially for some of these teams unless there's going to be a three-way trade taking place, which I don't. It would very well could happen again, as we saw the last couple of years, because teams are so tight to the cap and they need any relief they can get. Yeah, th those I think are the big ones, because like I said, the power play, you replace Perron with a Debrinket. Now you can also call up um, a Jonathan Berggren and he can fit that depth or middle six role that Perron was. And I think that he's going to actually crush it in that sense. But you can also slot him onto your secondary power play unit. You're not necessarily too worried about the PK. You're not worried about the PK with Perron or Sprong for that matter, but both were able to do that when called upon if they absolutely had to. Berggren can do that same thing. So I, I like the options there, and I already mentioned what I did for the defense. So one of those guy, guys, in my opinion, Perron or Ghost, I think are your best options for tra trading off. Sprong could be there if the for the cheaper version, but I the way that he 
brings that fire to your bottom six. That one makes it a little bit more hard for me to break up with, especially for the deal that he's on and for the fact that he's 26 compared to 34. 35, I'm sorry. Perron's 35 now. Yeah, with Daniel Sprung, I would be I'd be kind of sad if we didn't re-sign him. Yes. Um, Sprung's been fantastic for the Red Wings this season, and he just brings that top six kind of threat to the bottom six role, mm-hmm. which is which is insane to me just how he goes on tears and he just makes the other team's bottom six looks ab- look absolutely ridiculous. But going and to your Shane Goss' spare point. Yeah. Going to your Shane Goss' spare point, though, I think that if what you were trying to do would be improve the defensive aspect of the team and you moved out a ghost, you could leave Edvin. Now this might be crazy to some people. You could leave Edvinson in Grand Rapids and bring in an Albert Johansson. Yep. Albert Johansson would immediately improve the team defense, which means you're giving up less high danger chances. You're giving up less chances, period. And you're, you're improving in an area where we would say, well, instead of going out and picking up a defenseman, you move one of your own out, you get picks or you get prospects back in return for a ghost and you bring in one of your prospects who is extremely responsible defensively. Mm-hmm. And I mean, right now it's not even, it's not hard to say that he's the Griffin's best defensive player, Albert Johansson. So I think that that's a move you can make there. If you, I think you're right. If you move out of David Perron, you move in a dude like Berggren, what you're sacrificing there is defense. But Berrigan right now in 31 games played in Grand Rapids has 13 uh, goals, 21 assists for 34 points. So he's over a point per game player in the AHL right now. And if you put him in that Perron spot, Perron is a streaky scorer. He'll score, but when he scores, it's it'll be like three games in a row, then he'll go quiet for seven. Then he'll score for three more games, go quiet for 10. Mm-hmm. Where I think a Berggren is going to provide more consistent offense. Absolutely. What you give up there is you give up that puck protection. You give up that defensive play in that role. But if you make two swaps, you send out a Perron, you send out a Ghost, you bring in a Johansson, you bring in a Berggren. I think that you overall are improving team defense in that aspect, mm-hmm. plus putting it a little bit more offensive skill. Now, that would be shipping off assets that are already going to expire anyways. And not having to spend any more assets to Older quote assets. Unquote, let's, let's... fix yeah to quote unquote fix the team, right? Yeah, it's worst part is it's not even necessarily fixing. It's just we're kind of talking trade for the sake of trade because the only well, thing that buffering. Worries, it's buffering the team. You're improving yeah. the defense. You're trying to go in for the long haul, and by bringing in some younger players, you are, ideally are thinking that could be the case. But the problem with that is only one of those two has true NHL experience and knows how to handle the grind because Berggren's already been up here, done it for quite a while, and he knows what it takes to go that extra mile. So bringing him later might actually be a benefit. Um, maybe he's not going to be as worn out if they're making that playoff push. I'd worry about that a little bit with Johansson, but at the same time, I don't know. The only thing that worries me or bothers me, if you will, about either Ghost or Perron getting shipped out is that's two of your top 10 scorers. It's your number one scoring defenseman. It'd be similar to trading off Veronic a couple of years back. Granted, that turned out to be a fantastic trade, and it's, it is what it is. That's what I would compare this to. I mean, he's not your top three in time on ice for defenseman, but he's right there at 19 minutes and 22 seconds. So, and 32 points over 49 games, a lot of those on the power play. 
So only two goals, but he's got 18 power play assists out of his 25. So you're losing that aspect. And again, I get with Ghost going out, you're actually removing ideally two guys that would be fitting onto your top power play unit. So I'm not saying that for how they've performed in the power play, it would completely crush it, but it would be pretty rough. Now, now Mo, yes, would fit into that top role. You slot Cat back onto that other wing. And now you've got your Cat, Larkin, Raymond, Mo, and Kane power play. And I, I don't really think you're going to lose much sleep over having that set up, but that's just me. But there is a secondary aspect of the depth piece. Now, I think to what you've mentioned, it does get replaced. Johansson scares me. Evanson still kind of scares me because you are relying on him for offense because he just didn't seem to get comfortable in the few games that he did see some ice time. So it's it's feels like they could go either way with what they did defensively if they tried to make that change from within. I think that comfortability, though, comes with knowing that you're not up full time. You're, you know you're just a fill-in mm-hmm. at that point. And I think if he knew, like, hey, we traded these guys away, you're in. And you're in for the rest of the season. I think you get a different level of comfortability knowing that you're here to stay here until the season is over because that's why they made a trade because they knew you could fill in. Johansson, I get the point is he's a little bit more scary because he has no NHL time at all. Mm -hmm. So you have to bet on on 100% certainty that his defensive game translates to the NHL level immediately. Yeah. Which is the kind of bet that you're, you're taking there. But He's got well, the size to do it. He's got the maturity to do it. Is it going to be much worse than the inconsistencies of a Justin Hall right now? No, that's what I'm saying is like you're you're moving stuff and, and you're either way. I think you're improving because you've got some guys that are slacking like a just like you said, like a Justin Hall would a is a Johansson going to be worse than Justin Hall? No, because he's already showed at the AHL level that he's not worse than a Justin Hall. And, and he's he skates in the SHL skates very well. Yeah, he's a fantastic skater, but he's far and away the plus minus leader on the team, which normally is not a good indicator of individual play. But when it's that far ahead of everyone else, you know that when he is on the ice, the the team as a whole is more defensively responsible when he is there. So I think that's where you kind of seven for that matter. Yeah, so it's. I mean, it's neither here and you're not getting rid of Justin Hall. I think that's the thing that no. people are going to be like, well, why don't you just trade Justin Hall? It's because well, you're not you getting any takers. So that contract between him and Petrie, on top of the fact that they're both modified no trade clauses, I mean, actually, Petrie's a no move because he's older. That's not, I don't think it's a plus 35 because of when he was signed, but they both have full control and you can't retain salary on Petrie because it's already been done twice. And Hall, you just signed him to three years. So the expectation is there that he was there to help you not be traded unless something happens. Now, with other guys like the other RFAs, Joe Valeno, Michael Rasmussen, is there any chance in your mind that they're traded? I know Berggren's been included in a lot of rumors, and we can talk about that in the next segment where we get to the players that we might bring in. But Joe Valeno, Michael Rasmussen, any chance that they go anywhere? I'm not going to say no, but I also don't want to say yes. I, th- I think Volano has fallen into the trap that we've heard before of the consistency piece. And really, you could lump in Rasmussen with that. But at the same time, like Raz has done his job in terms of be a body and be an aggressive body, where Volano, at times, you see that from him. But again, kind of like it goes back to what Lalone said, really coming into the, it was in the offseason, coming into the season. 
is that can he do the same these things that we see flashes of on a more consistent basis? And that's where I think we've come up short because Joey was doing fantastic for a good while. And then of late, it's just like, okay, cool, you're here. Thanks for showing up. Um, where again, you could say really the same thing about Rasmussen, but I think you see more responsibility placed on Raz at this point because that line with him, Fisher, and Cop has been fantastic. You also see Raz out there when certain situations where they need an extra center just in case, especially in like a three-on-three overtime. He's usually the alternate guy on the ice to take a draw with Larkin, which that says a lot more to me because then you know that you can rely on him defensively if you absolutely need it. Um, not saying that Valeno couldn't be in that situation, but it, it just depends on how they want to roll the lines at that point. So I don't know. E- either guy, you can really say you love him or you hate him, or you're just kind of like, he's a cool dude. Like he does, does things that make me happy sometimes, which they do. But I also think that they could be a decent trade piece if you're needing to provide younger, younger players and or assets that would come cheap that you have rights on and you have control over. Yeah, I think that's the big point is that you get Joe Valeno and you've you've got like he signs with you or he signs with no one. You're Mm -hmm. at that point, you're trading him for the rest of the season plus his rights. In the last 10 games, he has one goal and three assists for four points, averaging 10 minutes and 56 seconds of uh, ice time. So it's like you said, he's he's gone. I don't want to call it a slump but he's gone a little bit cold because he was, I mean, for a, a stretch of the season was doing very well offensively. And your point is well taken with Michael Rasmussen in his last 10 games played. He has one goal and four assists for five points. So he's a 0.5 point, uh, 0.5 point per game player. But like you said, he's using his body more. Like we had said, Michael, use your body, like physicality. You're big, yeah. you're a strong guy. He's not he, been backing down at all this year. No. And he's been doing it uh, for the latter part of the season so far, and it's working for him. So I think he brings an element that Joe Valeno, just simply because he's not that big, doesn't bring. Yeah. And if you had to trade either of them, I'd I'd probably say Valeno to a team that needs a depth center. And that that would be you'd probably get a mid round third round pick for him, maybe for Joe Valeno. And that would probably be about it. Yeah, I I think it might be a stretch for a third, but it's possible. I mean, you look at just their face off draws. I mean, Raz is at a 45 percent. He's taken right about 100 draws in the year, just under. And then Valeno's double that. Actually, no, more than double. He's got over 400 face offs at a 48 percent clip. So. Your true center, you can see that they've finally moved away from the Raz experiment at center, more or less. But he is out there to take draws when need be. I know he's taken some on the PK. He's taken some in emergency situations where they need a defensive zone draw. There's been several times where he's been out there, wins a draw, and immediately gets off the ice. So he is a great multi-role player, Like kind of to your point. Both guys are neck and neck. You have Valeno with 20 points through 48 games, Raz 22 through 50. Averaging 15 minutes a night for Raz, 1440 a night for Joe Valeno. I mean, you're you're eliminating one to put more responsibility on the other. Is it essentially what it comes down to? In my opinion. And when you look at it too, Michael Rasmussen is more defensively responsible. If you're looking at pure statistical at times, wise. I would say. And again, if you're looking at plus minus, 
Rasmussen's a plus 13 on the season. Mm-hmm. Joe Valeno on the season is a minus 11. So, again, when Rasmussen is on the ice, the team is more defensively responsible. God damn, Joe Raymond's Valeno's, a minus 13 and Ghost is a minus 20. Yeah, well, Raymond, you're playing on a top line against Tom Cop- top competition. So yeah. that's the. I mean, Larkin's only a minus two. Which is why I don't like plus minus. So it's when they're on the Doesn't ice, make sense. how is the team doing? And then plus minus is also argued because you get a minus if a shorthanded goal is scored against you. But if you score a goal on the power play, you don't get a plus. So that's plus minus is a really screwy stat that sucks, which is why there have been several articles written on it that says plus minus is a garbage stat and should never be used to um, judge individual player performance. And it shouldn't. But when there is a big outlier, then you can kind of take it into account that when that player is on the ice, then generally the the team that is on the ice at the same time as him is doing better, right? Fair. I knew, okay. I, knew I would get that uh, long-winded explanation out of you again. And I hate it. I hate <laughs> plus minus the stat because people try to use it as like uh, the definitive, this is why this player sucks. Look, he's a minus 12. Not like, like one of the yeah. diggers that blocks everybody? Sure, but then you're like, yeah, but look at everything else that he does in regards, like in like conjunction with that plus minus. And then I think if they just stopped tracking it, no one would care. No one would care if they stopped tracking plus minus because it is a garbage stat. But when it is overly positive or overly negative from the rest of the team, there may be, I guess, a little bit more to to it because then that means when they're on that their team is doing better. I guess. Yeah, so. I'll give it to you. All right. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break. We're going to do a message from DraftKings. We'll come back and we will talk about kind of some of the players that have been mentioned in the rumor mill for the Red Wings, the TSN trade bait list that some are already gone off of it because they haven't updated it since the end of January. Uh, we'll be back in one minute after a word from DraftKings. We know hockey games move fast, but with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL, you can score faster than anything happening on the ice. This week, new customers can bet 5 bucks and get 200 instantly in bonus bets. And with guys like Debrinkit and Kane and Dylan Larkin piling up points, you always have good choices for bets on DraftKings. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app with code THPN. New customers bet just 5 bucks on the NHL and get 200 instantly in bonus bets only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code THPN. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-H-O-P-E-N-Y or text H-O-P-E-N-Y 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash hockey for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. NHL and the NHL Shield are registered trademarks of the National Hockey League. Copyright NHL 2024. All rights reserved. And we're back. And we are going to go over some possible trade targets. First, I think we're going to cover TSN's trade bait list. So this is already old. Actually, let's cover trades that were already done in the league already. So January 31st, Vancouver Canucks got Elias Lindholm from the Calgary Flames for Andre Kuzmenko. The rights to unsigned defenseman prospect Hunter Brustowitz. And Yoni Yermo, a first-round pick in the 2024 draft and a conditional pick in the 2024 draft. And a lot of people are saying that Hunter Brustowitz is kind of like the golden object of that trade. 
that he is a fantastic prospect. They, I think, compared him to the Adam Fox of whatever league he's in currently. Uh, they said he is that league's Adam Fox. So Andre Kuzmenko also has a really good like last season, but not so great this season. And it could have just a pretty comparable a line to Lindholm, though, over the last however, like full season of play. Kuzmenko last season for Vancouver in 81 games played had 39 goals and 35 assists for 74 points. But so far this season in 43 games has eight goals and 13 assists for 21 points. So that's what they're kind of he also got Lady Bing votes last season. But Mm. it was last season was his first in the NHL and he's kind of cooled off since last season. Now, if you look at Elias Lindholm in 49 games played this season, he has nine goals and 23 assists for 32 points. But Lindholm has the history. Last season, he had 64 points. The season before, he was a point-per-game player. Season before that, he had 47 and 56. So Lindholm is, has more history of being a very high-level player and a super solid center. So I think that was a big win for Vancouver in the now because they're going for it. They've got the talent. They've got they've won a ton of hockey this season mm-hmm. and they're going to go for it. So getting Lindholm and giving up, they gave up a lot because if Kuzmenko bounces back, that's great for Calgary. Hunter Bruce if he comes in and he is just a star player from the go or even in two years, then it's a win for them and they get picks. So Calgary got a boon for Lindholm, but Lindholm should perform very well with what Vancouver has, it's just boltering an already deep roster. True. But now they're going to be in hell. I mean, they're Vancouver is definitely a team that's all in. Oh yeah. They can't keep him past the season. If they want to keep Elias Patterson. No, they need, they need Patterson to sign, which he's an arbitration RFA, but then they need to figure out if they want to do anything with Lindholm after this trade, they need to, let's see who else they have down this list. So forward wise, that's about what they're looking at. Nothing too crazy there. But defensively, like, are you bringing back Tyler Myers, who is currently 34 years old? He turned just turned 34 Myers. You got Phil Hronik, who's going to be wanting an increase in pay. You went out and brought in Nikita Zadorov. He's going to want more money. He's already had contract disputes or debates, if you will. So what are you going to do? And you're going to have to bring on a new goaltender, a backup goalie. So. Yeah, which is why they made this Lindholm. You got to figure that's why they made the Lindholm move. They're like, we need to win now because we've got all this money that's going to be owed to people and we're not going to be able to sign all of them. So statistically, they're probably going to oh. be a weaker team next season. Well, here, here's the kicker, though. They also, for many of you, like, much like myself, forgot, they bought out Oliver Ekman Larson, who's only hitting their cap for $146,000 this year. Next season, it jumps up to $2.34 million. The season after that, for two years, it jumps up to 4.7. So have that was a pretty shit buyout in bringing hindsight. that one into your cap situation. Yeah, so that's uh, they're going to be kind of which is, again, they've got to like do Minnesota. it this season. Yeah, because if they don't, it's going to be terrible for them uh, going not terrible, but their team is going to slowly lose money as the cap goes up. They're going to owe more money in uh, buyouts and stuff. Uh, on February 2nd, the Winnipeg Jets acquired Sean Monahan from the Montreal Canadiens for a first-round pick in the 2024 draft and a yeah. conditional third in the 2027 draft. I get it for Winnipeg because they have also been on a tear this season. 
for me, that's a big win for Montreal. Yeah, it is. Uh, they need uh, to first? stock up. Yeah, they need to stock up. Now, again, it's probably a low first because my uh, Winnipeg's been really good. True. But and, a first is a first. Yeah, but I, I like the point that someone made. I mean, it seems that a lot of GMs in particular are less worried about that late round first, like get offloading it. Because to your point, it is like a second round pick at that point. But also now you can utilize that for at, moving around for asset management, whether it's at the draft, which we've seen already from Iserman over the last several years and others to be included. So now you've got extra capital to either move back up in the first if you want to, to jump a little bit higher, get inside that top 20. You can move back. You can use that as capital, like to try to go bring another player on or attain, obtain some rights. A lot of different ways you can go with it. So it, it's teams that are in a mode like Winnipeg, for instance, that can maintain something for several years, much like we saw for Detroit all those years. They, they can afford to jettison off one of these late ones and potentially still get a high second round or third round pick by trading for it. So. Now, if we're going to look at who the Red Wings might bring in, and I guess we'll start on the one that we kind of both were going to bring to the table initially, and that I would say is Noah Hannafin. Um, Noah Hannafin, defenseman in Calgary, is 27 years old, just turned 27 in January. So he's freshly 27 years old. This season with the Calgary Flames in 49 games played has eight goals and 17 assists for 25 points. What I like about Noah Hannafin is... He's responsible defensively. So if you look at the J Fresh war cards, he's a 66% war, 68 offense, 48 defense. But most of the rest of his numbers besides the power play are blue. He's positive in the PK. He has a uh, decently high finishing at 68%, 86% in goals. His competition score is what's nice. So when we talk about competition score and we talk about like a most cider where he's at like 100% for competition because he plays all like a giant majority of his minutes against the top talent in the league. Noah Hannafin's at a 93. So it's still the same kind of situation where he is playing very high level uh, against the top competition in the league. And he's been doing it for a while. He's a left D. So that would allow you to pair him with Mo and slide Wallman down to the second left defense pairing. Ooh. And then that, again, just improves your defense overall. The downside to Noah Hannafin right now is that he's a rental. So he's making you $4.95 million, and he is a free agent in the offseason. Now, you could trade and then sign him, but he's going to want a lot of money because he is one of uh, he is a first-paired defenseman in the league. Big time. But he's also the type of defensemen that are uh, very hard to come by. And if you can acquire such a player, I, I think you have to. And we've already seen that it might be the fact that Calgary is willing to negotiate and try to bring some stuff back in. It's, it's sad to watch how competitive and good they were several years ago. And then you saw the Johnny hockey and Kachuk events unfold. They both leave and it's just been a more or less a downward spiral. And if Detroit were able to acquire a Hannafin, like you just said, put him with a cider. Now you can protect Wallman a little bit. I don't even say protect Wallman. It's just, give some relief to Wallman at this point and just let him eat teams up on a second pair with less word, like with a less of a worry of having to just get run down by going against McDavid every night that he's out there. So, but what's key with Hannafin, he's a big body, six, three, two sixteen, 
fits the mold of an Iserman defenseman. But what's key about that size is he can skate. He is a very effective skater. He can play in all situations at both ends of the ice. And he just, he's 26 years old. He just turned 26. He fits your window of right now for the next 10 seasons if you could somehow bring in that type of player. Just trying to look up right now. So if you look at his 2023-24 season so far, uh, he has allowed, so we look at high danger chances as a defenseman. What? How many high danger chances are you creating versus are going against you? So when Noah Hannafin is on the ice, it's been 167 high danger chances for, which means putting the puck in an opportunity, a high scoring opportunity. Whereas he has had 160 high danger chances against. And he is averaging, let's see, what's he got so far for ice time? 896 minutes of ice time so far this season. So when you compare that to Mo Sider, Mo Sider has had 1,120 minutes of ice time so far this season. And he has had 168 high danger chances for when he's on the ice, but 286 against. So Hannafin has been much better this season at mitigating high danger chances, which is what you want out of your defenseman. So if you paired him with Mo, I feel like Mo has had to at points because Wallman has had lapses is cover for his defenseman cover for the forwards who have a lapse in defense, where if you pair him with someone like a Hannafin, that levels it out a little bit more. It shares the workload, I think, a little bit more evenly to where you have an extremely solid top pair. And like you said, like moving Wallman down gives him a little less ice time, gives him a little better matchups because he's also had some of the toughest matchups. And I think he's still top five with, with Mo at toughest matchups in the league. You lessen that, that's more offensive opportunity. We know Wallman can score. It really does give you flexibility in your top four, though. I think that's what's more important because we see the deployment of Cider and Wallman out there in terms of what you just mentioned, the percentage against top competition. Now you can give these guys a break, or if something's not working and you want to get a spark to one of them in a game, you can drop Cider down, bring a Wallman up. Granted, it gives you two lefties, but you can make things happen, Move, switch Hannafin and Wallman. You get them some space get them a chance to breathe a little bit and go make an impact somewhere. That's what this type of flexibility will give you. Not saying Detroit can't do that now. We've seen them flip the roster, but it's not, it wouldn't, it's not quite the same impact that we're seeing. If you say you have to put a Jeff Petrie or a Justin Hall up there on your top pairing, because now you're just waiting for them to get blown by every, by everyone else on the competition down the ice because they can't skate for shit. By adding more sure skaters to your lineup, it's huge. That's why we, I, I love the idea. If you're not making moves externally and you're doing it internally, Johansson and Edmondson, they can skate. We've already seen it with Ed several times over. We're seeing it with Johansson down in the, in, in the A. So I, th- I think that's going to be key, though, for Detroit to keep up with these teams if they keep on this push to make the playoffs. They're going to need to keep up. And if they get faced off with a Calgary, or I'm sorry, a Carolina, or a Rangers team, it's going to be hard charging uphill battle. Yeah, and I was looking at Moe's all situations. His 5v5 time on ice is 855-43, 
high danger chances for 115, high danger chances against 194. So it's still higher than Hannafin's, but it's it's around the same area when you look at only five on five. And again, I mean, that that gives you a killer pair. Actually, Hannafin Cider might be one of the top pairs kind of in the league at that point when you get him a dude who's been doing it for a while and you kind of match the skill levels. I think that gives you an extremely dangerous top pair. What do you now? Here's the hard part. Knowing what we know from what's happened already. So if you look at the trade for Elias Lindholm and what it brought back, mm-hmm. what do you think Detroit would have to give up for a Noah Hannafin? I and I'll tell you those, if I think you're off or not. One of those defensive prospects that we just touched on. So you, well, yeah, that and, and what? Well, I'm just, that's, that's the, the first pain point because right now Calgary is not hurting for draft picks. They've got two first rounders going into this season. They've got two fourth rounders, uh, which that one second, I'm not going to go into the details. That's a lot of words, but defensively, I mean, they've got an entire situation back there right now. They've got to re-sign Chris Tanev. They got to re potentially. Oh, I think Tanev's gone. Probably. I mean, he's 34 years old. He just turned 34 in December. Um, They've got several guys to figure out what they're going to do there. Um, In the pipe, it's a lot of guys that I really don't know who they are other than Mark Pissick. And that should tell you everything you need to know right there. So I think one of the biggest asks is going to be a defensive prospect. I think you're definitely looking at a minimum second round pick. I just I, I struggle right now for where Detroit's at to see Iserman getting rid of a first rounder, at least for this season. Because the, the margin is so slim for them making it versus not making it. I think that he's going to put more weight into trying to maintain a first and maybe jettisoning a second to make any trade worthwhile, but it's going to have to be multiple picks, whether it's this year and or a future. And I could see a future first maybe in there like as part of it. But I think if you're sweetening the deal with like a Johansson, a Volander or an Edvinson, for instance, to try to take the blow off of a Hannafin leaving, because a lot of those guys you could argue would could be NHL ready for a team like Calgary. And they could, pretty much be impactful if they think that that that's where they're going to be at. And it could be for a very long time. So maybe that lightens the load in terms of of picks like a second and a third or a second and a fourth or two seconds like this year and next year or something along those lines, I think you would be potentially enough. I struggle with the fact of Eisenman giving up a first right now for at least this season because of the, the uncertainty. So do you think you could do something like a Bear Grin? a Wallander and a pick and get it done or two picks and get it done. I think if those are your names that you're going with, you're going to need two picks, but I think that'd be doable. What if instead of Beargren, you, they did talks with ghost and ghost said he would extend there. I mean, it'd be doable because you're looking at, Oh, Hannafin's actually 26. He just turned in in January 20, 27. I'm sorry. He turned on January yeah. 25th. Um, I mean, you're looking at the age between Hannafin and Ghost, and it's not too crazy. It's a three, four-year difference. If you're extending Ghost for because he's gonna want several years and probably a raise of what he's getting, but what's Calgary? But he would come be? in under Hannafin. 
I mean, Hannafin's making 495 now, but he would definitely come in under long-term projection projections, if you will, less than what Hannafin is. And I think that's where it could happen because you're still keeping your defensive core effective. You're replacing a, a good skating, a great skating left D with another one. It's possible. And yeah, throwing a couple of prospects in a pick. Well, the big thing there, too, is that your salary hit, you're still jettisoning salary. You could even get Detroit to retain some more to make things work, but I don't even think Detroit would have to, given the situation, but you never know. So it'd be interesting. If, if Ghost was part of your package it, 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 and he turned out to sign with Calgary, I just don't see him signing there, though. That's just me. It's because they're like not good. It's like that's yeah. a problem. It's not the team they were three years ago. Yeah. So I think Hannafin is Hannafin would be one of my top of the radar picks. Another one that's been floating around and God, I, again, we'd hate to give them assets, but Ottawa is uh, rumored to not be shopping, but taking calls on uh, Jacob Chikrin. <laughs> 25 years old, just turn, will turn 26 in March. So March 31st is his birthday. This season in 47 games played has eight goals and 20 assists for 28 points. He is a minus 11. If we look at his war card, it is a 54% with a 61% offense, 45 defense, 98 finishing. We know he's an offensive defenseman. He can score. He's got a bunch of A1s. Uh, 87% goals. Penalties is low, so he takes penalties, 28%. And his competition score is low, which means that they're playing Chikrin against some easy competition, 52%. But my issue with Chikrin is still I'm afraid of his knees. He overall is not a crazy healthy player. He played uh, 48 games last season, 47 in 2021-22. He played 56 in 2020-21, which was the shortened season. He played 63 the season before, but then before that, 53, 50, and 68. So he's never played a complete 82-game season. He's never played more than 70 games in a season, Yeah, which is it worries me. Again, he's another left-shot sure. defenseman. We know he's got skill. We know it's there. He's making the best of what he's doing on an absolutely abysmal Ottawa team. And he's a dude who I would have went for when he was leaving Arizona but I just struggle giving up a lot for him when you look at his injury history and just know that maybe in two weeks he could blow out a knee. Yeah. I, the problem is though, is that he's still a great skater. He's a big body and you know what you're going to get. And I think not saying that on Ottawa's roster, he wasn't impactful, but something there apparently just sucks the life out of everyone and they don't perform at the level you would expect. I think it's just Ottawa. That's what I'm saying. It's Ottawa in general. And we're, we saw what happened with the I mean, it's not to say that there's not good players there. They have been like all world talent, but some guys that just for whatever reason have not looked good there. And I'm not saying he hasn't looked good, but it hasn't been, I think to the level or expectation that was set out for him and what they gave up for him. I don't think that you're, it's tough for me to look at what they could do with this trade because Ottawa already owns your conditional first for this season. 
and they own your fourth round pick for this season. If you're Iserman, I, I feel like you're not trying to continue to give them picks to batten down the hatches, if you will, to try to continue their rebuild because you know that unparalleled success window is about to come to a close in 2020. Or like you said before we started recording, we know what they do with the picks anyways. So. Yeah, it's true. If you, you get drafted by Ottawa, good luck at this point. But I, I think that he could still be very impactful. But is it going to be a, a Shingasis bear impact where some nights you're going to get like the best offensive prospect product out there? Or is it going to be a brutal defensive output that which one are you going to get there? Or are you going to get the type? Is it going to be as impactful if you were to go after a Noah Hannafin? I think that's kind of where you got to weigh the pros and cons. And what are you going to have to give up? Because what did they trade to get him? Do you know offhand? Uh, I know it was a first round pick and uh, another asset, I believe, in order to get him. It was a 23 first a 24 second and a 26 second. There's no way in my mind Detroit is giving up remotely that. I think you would have to go into the asset market again. And I, it's going to end up being, you could really go either way with forwards or defensemen. I think it's going to be a tall ask because you look at Ottawa, for instance, I mean, they've got a good young group. Stutzla is one of the top players. I think wingers, they still list him as a center, which is hilarious to me. I think he's still one of the top wingers are going to be in hockey. You got Brady Kachuk, again, right up there as one of the top wingers. If Norris can stay healthy, he's a very good center. And the only reason Stutzla is a winger, we say that he's a winger, is because he sucks at the face-off. Yes. Like that's like he's, he's a center if you don't have him take face-offs. Yeah, absolutely. That's why you see when he's out there with Claude Giroux, Giroux's taking the, taking the draw. But and that's not just that's literally what he's not good at. Outside of that, he's a strong defensive body. And we saw that in the most recent game in Detroit. Like he was effective out there. But like what I was getting to, so Stutzler, Kachuk, Norris, Batherson, look at all their younger players right Shane now. Shane Pinto. Shane Pinto. They, they just brought back. I mean, some of these guys are going to need contracts eventually. But Stutzler, Kachuk, and Norris, they're locked up long term. Batherson's locked up the next four years. You can get away, like their defensive side of things is kind of in the same boat. They're in a decent spot. So if you can complement that with one of, like, say, a Bergeron, which that would be absolutely brutal in my opinion, because I think he would absolutely make them better offensively. To me, it's going to, I don't know if it's necessarily going to be about a body. It's going to be more about picks for them. So, well, here's, here's my rub there. I think they're going to want prospects. So right now, as of Corey Pronman's listing of prospect pool oh, yeah, rankings it's rough. In, in the NHL as of January 30th, this was literally last week, the Ottawa Senators come in 31st. Uh, quote, progress made by a few mid-round picks with upside as depth options and solid pros isn't enough to offset the graduating of Ridley Grieg. And uh, the aging of three B-grade prospects in a 2023 draft class, which without a pick in the first three rounds, didn't replace them. Add in the sunken coast of some poor selections, and the Senators have work to do to rebuild a pool that isn't far removed from being among the strongest in the league. So, what they need are some almost NHL-ready graduates. Mm -hmm. Like He's like someone like a William Wallander Wallander. to replace a Chikrin in two seasons. Johansson. A Johansson, maybe. 
So what I think they're going to want is probably a, a roster player. Any of the and, forwards at this point. Sure. Well, a, a forward. So send them a forward, a roster player, maybe two roster players and a top like a what you would consider a top of the line prospect. Like I would consider Wallander a top prospect. Yeah. One of them. Because I mean, game, I think if you're looking forwards, though, you're probably having to worry about. Um, I, I struggle to say Mazer, but I think that the asking point could be a Mazer or a Casper. Danielson's well, they're awful. interested in a Beargren. Or a Beargren. That's yeah. one, of the, one of the rumors out there. So if the chicken trade starts with Beargren, and you send them Beargren, and you send them William Wallander, and you send them Marco Casper, do you get Chikrin back? Because you've got Nate Danielson, who's going to be coming up. So wait, Beargren, Casper, Wallander, Wallander. for Chikrin. Yeah. Two of the three, I think, gets it done, not all three. And the reason I say not all three is because I don't think you can. That's tough. I think I think Barry. So be... with three, would you be more comfortable if they sent a pick back with Chikrin? Yes. Okay. So say they send Chikrin. Give us our fourth, fourth round pick back. There you go. Chikrin and a fourth. And we give you the three players. Because they don't got a third. They're not going to do a second with. Uh, that could actually be a second round. Get, get out of that. Okay, so here's the other half of it, though. Maybe you don't get a, a pick back, but taking Chikrin frees up Cap from their absolutely abysmal Cap situation in which Chikrin is signed for another season at $4.6 million. So if you take him back at 100% Cap and you send them Beargren and you send them Wallander and you send them Casper or throw another prospect in there, then you're free. You're helping them by freeing up their cap. Mm -hmm. You're restocking. You're giving them two prospects that can bump up their pool ranking, and you're giving them an NHL ready forward. The only problem I have with it, and it's not the fact I like. I like that Chikrin has another year on his deal, but now you have a full decor for another season again, meaning no spot is opened up. You're hoping that an Edvinson or Johansson or whomever is now beating out a Petrie Hall or someone going into the next season. They're going to have to at that point. Is that a situation you'd be okay with? Now, granted, because uh, I think there'd be another move. Another move would have to be made during the deadline. Yeah, but you have to get approval from all of those guys to make a move from Ghost. You have to get approval from Ghost to move him? Yeah. Ghost has a 10-team no-trade list. Yeah. Easy to make a move there. But what I'm saying is that you have to get these things. Like, the, the list goes down. And I'm, I'm going to guess several of these guys are going to have not, no Canada. Okay. Then you trade one of them to L.A. Because L.A. is in an absolute shitstorm right now after firing their coach and bringing DJ Smith in. As not coach, but like advisor to Rob Blake. Yeah, that one doesn't make any sense. It makes zero sense. But I think that I think that if you're in a trade that would make sense and would be easier on the Red Wings would be the Chikrin trade simply because you're freeing up cap space in Ottawa where there's players that are going to need to be re-signed and they have uh, less than zero dollars to do so. So I think that's where that makes sense. Uh, we're running up against time. We're going to quickly talk, not quickly talk, but kind of get feelings on a couple forwards. Another person that's been rumored in the Red Wings uh, kind of sphere is Frank Vetrano. Uh, Frank Vetrano, I would pass on for a few reasons. So he'll be 30 in March. 
Uh, he has 22 goals and 14 assists for 36 points in 50 games, but this is the first season that he has done this. Last season, he had 41 points in 81 games. Uh, the next closest he had, let's see, he had 13 points in 22 games for New York, and he had 19 in 49 for Florida the year before. So at 30, it's kind of hard to see like you're peaking at 30, but Vetrano might be. He would add grit to the top line with Larkin and Raymond. Um, he's got good finishing numbers. I just I think that the age where he's at, and you're gonna have to make a trade with Anaheim to get it done. He's got, let's see, Frank Vetrano has one more year at 3.65 million. It's doable, but I'm not sure it's necessary. Yeah. I I mean, you what you mentioned with him, I think you can get out of Bergen. And that, that's where I struggle bringing in certain forwards, like a depth guy or a middle six guy, potentially, because you know that they're not coming in really to hit your top six. They could. They could impact you in different ways, but unless, maybe if the trade If you is, teach Beargren how to hit people, then you can be a Frank Vetrano. Yeah, true. I don't know. I, I think if you're looking at the point aspect of it, Bergen can do that and then some and I've we've already seen it several times over and I still stand by the fact that he is a Zetterberg 2.0 whereas his vision and passing is just is um, incredible it's not Patrick Kane level but 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 Zetterberg Zetterberg's puck protection much like David Perron was next level and Bergen doesn't have that yet I think he could get there but I'm just that's just me all right, ready, Ryan? Trevor Zegris. Do it. So I don't like Trevor Zegris the person, I think, but I like Trevor Zegris the <laughs> player. It's because, like, you see all the videos of him, and I get it. It's the age group. Just, like, being dumb, like, doing dumb shit. Like, like there's a video where he's doing some, like, before they go out on the ice, some, like, handshake, fake nut tap thing, and, like, Ryan Getzloff is staring at them. And it, I think the caption was like the moment Ryan Getzloff <laughs> knew he needed to retire. Yeah, <laughs> I remember that. That was great. And and I get it. And this year, I mean, if you want to talk about if you thought Raymond slumped last season, this season in 20 games played, he has seven points. And it's like and again, he's been hurt. He hurt himself again. He's out again. His defense is abysmal. It's terrible. He's horrible defensively, but he's really good offensively. So if you put Trevor Zegras in and he's a center and say he was your second line center behind Dylan Larkin because he's been playing, I think, top line minutes in. uh, No, it says he's been playing second line minutes in Anaheim, but I struggle to think who they would put ahead of him uh, because that team is also, again, a dumpster fire. But I think Zegras is a second line center in Detroit and you just move Comfort down to the third and then eventually flex in my only problem with that is you got nate danielson coming up and what's okay put him at wing sure and again that takes the defensive responsibility off of him and when Mm -hmm. a guy like danielson who does come up who is a complete 200 foot player absolutely fantastic defensively and you put him with someone like zegris and we know danielson has high hockey iq is a great passer zegris can put the puck in the net that's what Mm -hmm. he's known for doing give him space he'll use it and you've got a first round pick and you've got assets in the system, you might have to give up a first and a second and an asset for Trevor Zegers. 
But I think at that point, if you think you're going to continuously make the playoffs from this point forward, maybe this season, absolutely next season. And you bring in a guy who's 22 years old that for some reason, Anaheim apparently already wants to give up on. I don't think there's a downside. And he's not even really, he's kind of in a stutzless situation where he's listed as a center, but not even getting used as that. He's a 37 of 55 through 20 games right now. 40% on the faceoff draw. So I think they're trying to spark him. Seven points in 20 games is obviously not good. You mentioned that he's been hurt. I get it. He's on IR. He's got two seasons left at 5.75 million before he is an arbitration eligible RFA. He is still under control in 2026, 27. So I think if you're going for a guy who you're trying to add longevity to the team, you're trying to add a high end top of the lineup kind of players. And you can do it depending, I guess, and, and Iserman has a relationship with, um, who is it? Verbeek out in yeah, Anaheim. Verbeek. There's a connection the for the rest of this season. Sure. Like, well, no, that, well what I mean by that, let me rephrase that. Let him learn under a cane for the rest of this season. You know, much yeah, you could see the same kind of profile there. Yeah. The, the, the flashiness, the playmaker that can score, go out and score a pretty goal. They hey, can showtime 2.0, Ryan. Hey, I'll take that as the replacement. You call it all his nickname could be the sequel. Ooh, the sequel. Oh, okay. I used to call them tragic zebras, but the sequel is probably, probably <laughs> better. See, I would, if, if Anaheim wasn't asking like a King's ransom for him, I, I think, think you if could you were, get him for cheap. If you were looking like for cheap. a forward. Yeah. That's who I would target. I'd do it. Make it 20, happen. At 22 years old. No. 22. Yeah. Make it happen. Ryan, final thoughts before we sign off. Final thoughts. I hate having to predict trades. Uh, it's the worst thing ever because it's never right. Both sides usually, will yell at us. <laughs> I usually get yelled at for it and or I don't put enough weight into what I think players are worth, which is why I'm not a professional or a GM when it comes to these things. So I don't care if you yell at me. I won't listen to you anyways. Uh, other than that, we have a lull of hockey for five more days, which I will be there on Saturday. It's a 1 p.m. puck drop in case you guys did not know that unless things have changed and it's against Vancouver. So it's not going to be a fun one. But it should be a fun one. We'll see how it goes. Is that Heronik's first game back since being traded? Uh, yes. Yeah, I think we have not played Vancouver this season. So that there could be a small tribute going on. We'll see. But uh, it'll be nice being back at LCA. Hopefully it's a decent crowd. Like I said, a 1 p.m. start. Is there something else going on to make it an early game or is there a lot of games that day? Is it a weekend? Yeah, it's Saturday. Just an early game. Yeah. I'll take it because that means I can go, go home early and relax. Good game to bring the kids to. That's what, yeah. that's what I target. When I bring Lily to a game, we want a 1 p.m. game. Yeah, that's fair. In between nap times, early enough to be bedtime, golden. But uh, yeah, on that note, we'll see what happens. And uh, already Ryan 33. Yeah, I agree. Trade deadline. We love trade deadlines. Stuff we got to talk about because there's no fucking hockey. So you can follow me <laughs> online at Bringing the Wing. You can follow the Grindline Podcast on that Grindline Pod. We give a shout out to the Hockey Podcast Network at Hockey Podnet online for hosting us and spreading us around. Vintage Detroit, where we're going to have hopefully some really cool stuff coming up with Vintage Detroit. 
Um, sending them some designs, might get some merch printed. We'll see where that goes. Um, but they're the only place you should get your Detroit jerseys from and worked on and might be the official home of Grindline podcast merch coming up pretty soon. So we'll see how that goes with them. Uh, we'll give a shout out to our Redbubble marketplace. You go to redbubble.com, search the Grindline, and you will find our merch there right now for the time being and YouTube. So go to YouTube, uh, sub to us, click the yes for notifications, the little bell or whatever it is now. You'll get notified whenever a episode goes live so you can keep up with us and what's going on. Our episodes will probably not episodes, but YouTube content will probably increase towards the trade deadline. Actually, I should probably take trade deadline off from work uh, this year so that I can monitor. And I've got time to use. I've got vacation time. I think it's the 8th of March, uh, somewhere around the the 8th of March. It's a Friday? Uh, Maybe. I mean, I would need a time to recuperate. (laughs) There's games being played that day. Is that usually? I thought they'd stopped that. I keep saying they should move trade. They should move all star break to trade deadline. Agreed. That's just. My two cents. Oh, that's going to do for us tonight. Huh, so, for Ryan, so for Ryan, I am Greg. You stay classy, Akita. Let me finish, Ryan. Yeah.